MindWell, hosted by Michelle Jones. We are all about connecting with wellness professionals and individuals with unique perspectives about developing wholeness and well-being. This podcast is designed to help you reconnect to your core self and find the resiliency, capability, and strength you already have within. MindWell is sponsored by IntegrateTrauma.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of MindWell. On this podcast, we interview people who have remarkable perspectives on the power of making mindful connections, and wellness. I'm Michelle Jones, and today I'm with Sam Richardson, owner and director of Las Vegas Therapy. Welcome, Sam. Hey, good to see you. Thanks for having me on. I am excited for our conversation. I want to start by just saying that I've been on my own trauma healing journey, and I am so thankful for the network of various professionals that really have brought me to this place of peace and recovery that I feel today. And part of this healing journey has been a therapist that was really key in helping me to understand and process my experience. So I come to this conversation with some enthusiasm about the transformative nature of the work that you are doing with people. So first of all, thank you for that work that you're doing to really help people to understand their own experiences. I feel like that's part of what I was able to benefit from and as I continue to work with a therapist as well. First, I wonder if we could just start by you introducing yourself to our listeners and telling us a little bit about the journey that brought you to the work that you're doing today. Yeah, you bet. So let's see, I've been practicing therapist for about 15 years now. Um, I went to the marriage family therapy program over at UNLV, you know, here here in Las Vegas. And, and, you know, at first I was just kind of working with just a little bit about it, you know, a little bit of everything, you know, depression, anxiety, couples, families, parenting, you know, kind of stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. It was probably about around six years ago or so. I, I really started working. I was working a lot with couples and I was working a lot with, you know, problematic sexual behavior. So some, some people would call it, you know, compulsive sexual behavior or sex addiction, stuff like that. I worked a lot with that, but then as I worked with the ones struggling with the, the behaviors, I started noticing that with the betrayed side, they were experiencing basically trauma, you know, that mirrored the symptoms of PTSD. And from then I started, you know, I just got a chance to get a lot, you know, a lot more training and insight and understanding on how to help, you know, the person whose world had all of a sudden, you know, tilted and shifted. And, and from there, you know, got more training, for example, with the MDR, um, you know, RI movement, desensitization and reprocessing, um, internal family systems theory, mm-hmm. you know, their programs. So just different models to kind of help me, uh, you know, just help those that have been through trauma. And, and it went, you know, from helping people in a relationship context to just other forms of trauma, whether it was, you know, abuse of a child or you know, traumatic experiences, like, you know, like the mass shooting that happened here in Vegas or car wrecks, you know, things like that. So, so a lot of what I, you know, I work a lot with trauma, um, I said, well, but I work a lot with it within the context of relationships and, and even just, you know, I kind of mentioned working with those that have problematic, you know, compulsive behaviors, you know, sexual, you know, kind of sexual issues. I would say, you know, nothing with humans is 100%, but about as close to 100%, they have some their own trauma as well that they're trying to figure out through, you know, through acting out. So it's, you know, I, use of this trauma lens has been incredibly helpful, you know, for me to try to help people out. So, yeah, because it sounds like what I'm hearing you say is that not only like, like by the time you're seeing some of these couples, there's already been 
probably a pattern that has been really painful for for sure at least one of them that that has created its own trauma but in addition to like the current day experiences that are creating trauma that almost always you're noticing that there's a thread that's taking back to previously experienced trauma 100% yeah every time you know we'll we'll look at what are the you know either what are the bodily you know sensations that come up when a trauma trigger hits or the emotions or the negative belief you know that they're that's that's kind of and beat them over the head. You know, a lot of times I'll ask, when, you know, when's the first time you remember experiencing this kind of you know, the belief about yourself or the world or, or this kind of fear? And almost inevitably they'll say, oh yeah, well, back when I was, you know, 13 or six or here's this other situation. And yeah, there's there's definitely you'll see a timeline that kind of goes back. Usually it will work its way back to some kind of touchstone event. And yeah. You know, where that initial trauma happened, and then and they had these other experiences later on in life, it just stacks, you know, stacks on top of it there. So, based on some of my own experience, I'm thinking that when you connect to these t- sort of touchstone moments, that you're saying that's a time when one of these tools that you've learned EMDR can really like make a huge impact for somebody's experience. So, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about what is EMDR? I've experienced it and have found it to be pretty cool, but share with us from your experience how you would explain it to a client if they're coming in and they have no idea what this is. Yeah, so I, I let them know that the MDR process helps us tap into what's called the adaptive information process in the mind. That's basically the mind's ability to take some event you know, that was traumatizing, and, and I'm, sure, I'm sure a lot of what I say, I'm going to be like preaching to the choir and, you know, um, I love it though, because no, I just love it. Like do share though, because I think that EMDR is such a cool resource for people and, and almost everyone that I talk to, they've like kind of vaguely heard about it, but they don't really know right. what it means or what, what it would be like to experience that. So if I were to show up to an EMDR session with you, what could I expect? Like, what would that experience be like? Yeah. So I, I would first explain to them, you know, here, you know, the, the mind and body wants to heal. You know, we naturally are inclined towards healing. You know, if I get a cut on my arm, I don't have to make a decision for that cut to heal. Like it, the body's going to go there, right? Yeah. Uh, what, what trauma is like, trauma is kind of like I got this cut and the, you know, the blade is still kind of in the way and it's preventing the healing. So EMDR, part of it is a way to kind of help get the, you know, get the blockage out of the way, you know, so that the mind kind of moves towards healing. Um, you know, I mentioned the, this adaptive information process. The mind can take this past event and kind of, again, reprocess it again and say, okay, you know, what's different now? You know, am I in that situation now? It can let this event kind of be in its appropriate place in, in history. And it's kind of like the mind is taking the books off the bookshelf and rearranging them in a way that just kind of fits better. Yeah. Because it just that allows it to kind of just function, you know, in the present moment. The process is, is pretty unique. You know, it's, it's not like typical talk therapy where I'm asking a lot of questions and, and trying to understand and delve deeper. Um, like I said, the, I really trust the, the body's process of wanting to heal. So I kind of stay out of the way a little bit. I mean, I'll set up the structure and we'll, as we go through the sets, like I said, it's interesting how the mind will naturally target in or spin on what needs to heal the most. And we'll kind of get there and then we'll process through as it were and then and then we kind of end up on the back end where the person can look back and say, yeah, I still remember the event. 
Uh, but when I think of the event now, it's kind of fuzzy or it just feels like it was a long time ago. You know, after they process through it, they can think about the event, but it doesn't have that arresting, you know, physiological response. You know, they don't go into the fight or flight mode you know, after they've they processed through it there. For sure. I know in my experience, I almost feel like it just has taken the intensity out of it, that I that it's yeah. no longer feels so sharp and intense mm-hmm. to me. Like, yes, this is part of my lived experience, but it really is just that. It's kind of just part of my story, just like my fifth grade teacher was Mrs. So-and-so, which now I feel bad I don't remember her name, but, you know, there it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to take us back because... So my original course of study, when I went to college, I went to ASU, go Sun Devils, and I studied nursing. So I became a pediatric nurse. And I wonder, like, if you go back and look at, like, the beginning of your journey stepping into this work, what do you think it was that initially drew you to the work of going through the whole process? Because it's a lot of education to reach the point where you're at to be able to work as a therapist and to do these work with clients. Yeah, it, it is a process. I, I had a great mentor, um, a supervisor in, in, in grad school named Judy Griffin. Shout out to her. She's retired now. But uh, she was constantly reminding us, hey, listen, the more you learn, the less you know. You know? And so, you know, have this, this, this attitude of like always feeling like there's something more to learn. And so, again, you get out of grad school and it's like, great, I've got my degree. I've got a license now. Uh, but you... You know, humans being humans, there's always some situation that's going to be new to you and you're going to kind of hit a wall that you're going to need to learn one more skill or one more, you know, technique to help help you help more people. And and so I think just having those moments where I was like, okay, I can, I know what's going on in this situation, but but what do I do? Right. That was motivation for me to be like, okay, I I need to invest the time and resources into getting you know more training so that I could just be more helpful people. And I also supervise people going through the licensing process. I'm, I'm a professor at UNLV. I supervise you know, the, the students going through um, the clinical practicum there. And that was something else I realized too. Like, okay, if I really, if I'm going to be leading people. I need to keep learning and keep understanding. And so that's, you know, part of it is I want to be able to be a good supervisor, but really the biggest motivator for me is keep getting trained and learning more is just knowing you know, if I really want to be helpful to people, I got to learn as much as I possibly can. And the process is never ends. So, a hundred percent. I consider myself to be a super nerd because I'm like a continual learner. Like. Anytime I come across something that's kind of new or I don't totally understand, I'm not really content until I really like dig in and try and understand it better, Um, which is part of what brought me to this work that I'm doing now is I was going through my own trauma healing journey and like, why? What what is going on? Why do I have all this intensity in my body? This was like so many years ago. So it all started with me just wanting to understand the experience better. What is happening that really brought me to this work that I'm doing today? As you're talking about training people, people and kind of supervising these up and coming therapy students, it was reminding me a little bit of the work that I did as a nurse when I was in school and how, you know, what I thought that nursing was going to be when I became a nursing student and said, this is the career for me. This is what I want to do. I have this picture in my head, right, of what we're going to be doing. And then when I actually started working in a hospital and really like boots on the floor, like figuring this out, it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be in my head. And I wonder for you, what did you notice or what are your students finding out 
you know, kind of what you thought this was going to be before you came into it and what your actual experience has been working as a therapist? Oh, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I experienced this and I see a lot of my students supervise these experiences where you'll think that, oh, I've got, you know, these certain skills or tools and I'll just be able to apply them to every situation uniformly, you know, or, or just kind of generally there. Again, the tools and the models, they're great, but I think something that most therapists hit pretty soon is is just the importance of just being with that person. You know, it's not just about somebody telling you, hey, here's my depressive symptoms, Give me, you know, come fix it. I'm going to try to explain this best way if I can, but just, you know, just having that therapeutic relationship, being able to connect and sit with somebody, especially with trauma, being able to help somebody you know, feel witnessed and seen, feel heard, to feel understood, especially you know, if they're having that kind of that trigger show up in their bodies, you know, kind of going into a panic. That's a tool that I didn't think I would have to use so much. Um, just, you know, again, just this basic human human connection, but it's, I think for sure, it's probably the most important tool you know, that, that, I've, that I've learned. You know, well, you know, a, lot of, a lot of therapists, they're just like, well, just tell me what to say, tell me what to do. And it's much deeper level than that. It's like, it's, it's not just what you say and do. It's okay. What's your way of being you know, with your clients as they come into to work through trauma? Here. Yes. Part of the focus of this podcast and radio show that we're doing is kind of MindWell is a little bit of a spinoff of kind of like being mindful and wellness and right. Some of these concepts. And one of the ways that I define mindfulness is being able to be fully present in the current moment whatever that is. And and like that looks different for everybody, but I feel like kind of what you're saying is that part of what we need to do is be able to be mindful and be present in the moment with the people and what they're experiencing. And I imagine for some people that takes quite a bit of time to build up a tolerance to be able to do that, to be able to sit with other people's discomfort and uncomfortable feelings. Yeah, it, it, it's a muscle, you know, and, and I love you bringing that mindfulness. I, I rely heavily on mindfulness, mindfulness principles. And, you know, anybody that's practiced mindfulness knows within the first 10 seconds how hard it is <laughs> to just, you know, you know, just stay with your breathing because your mind is just all over the place. And, uh, but yeah, 100% when you say, you know, when it, when it comes to being able to be present with somebody, it really is a, you know, a tool, a muscle you got to exercise to get better at it. It's, I really, I mean, I believe heavily in mindfulness. Um, I, you know, if you were to say, hey, Sam, what's the number one, you know, tool to, to learn to kind of heal from trauma, I would say it's, it's learning to be present, right? Because I love how you mentioned a couple minutes ago, you said, man, why am I having this reaction to something that was so long ago, right? right. Like your, you know, trauma, trauma makes the past feel as though it's present and being able to get grounded in the present, it allows your mind to allow there, again, for there to be a timeline of like, oh, there's the now and there's the then. What kind of data can I pour into my mind to let me know, okay, how should I be reacting you know, to the situation presently as opposed to what I think, you know, is going on, but really it's just kind of dead in the past there. And so I'm going to share with you part of my experience, and I wonder if you have found this to be common with your clients, that for me, until I had really processed and done some recovery work on my trauma, it was incredibly difficult for me to be in the present moment and fully connected to my body because I was carrying so much in my body that 
like my brain was like, why would we want to do that? <laughs> like, why do we want to be fully connected to everything that your body's holding? Let's stay in this slight disconnected state because that's a lot less painful. And I and I always felt really frustrated. Like, why is it such a challenge for me to like use the Headspace app or to do right some of these other things? And I, I would always feel kind of down on myself about that until after I understood so much more about my trauma experience and then was able to process my trauma and now suddenly realizing, oh, the whole thing wasn't that I was bad at mindfulness. It was that my body was carrying so much. It made it hard to be in the present moment. Have you noticed that that's something that other people besides just me have experienced? Oh, I I feel like you described every client I've I've had perfectly. I mean, that that is it. I had, I had another mentor, Kevin Skinner. He, he would often describe trauma as a disconnection from self and others, right? And, mm. and I love how you worded it, which is saying, like, here's all this, you know, vessel banderkult, you know, the body yeah. keeps the score type of thing where in your body, it's like that's where the trauma is. So the mind to try to turn to it, process it, or, or just to be with it, even, or even take a glance at it, it's scary. You know, so we're we're naturally a self-preserving species, right? It's something scary. We're naturally going to want to turn away, which makes sense. But I think, yeah, just the way you worded that, I think that's incredibly common and normal. I think anybody that's gone through trauma, they find that difficulty just noticing what's going on emotionally or physically. I, I, it's really important just to validate that and to let them know like that. It's so, you know, such a normal thing to feel when there's that trauma. Um, we naturally turn away from things that are scary. Um, which is yeah, overall a smart plan. <laughs> Yeah, it's your body doing what it's supposed to do, right? Like, like, what if I didn't turn away from things that are scary? Like, I'm probably not going to last that long. <laughs> I'll walk right up to a grizzly bear, a rattlesnake, or who knows what. And so, yeah, it's just the body in the mind doing what it's designed to do, but just a little bit at a, at a more active pace. So, Yeah. Sam, so I've got a few different trains of thought that I want to tackle together. But one of the things that I thought this might be a good place to connect to is one of the things that I thought could be really great for our listeners is that to like demystify choosing a therapist, like not necessarily choosing a therapist, but maybe making a step toward choosing to consider therapy as an option for whatever you're experiencing. I think that you know, although we've come an incredibly long way in the field of mental health, I think that for some people it still feels stressful and maybe like there's still a stigma, a, a stigma to choosing to take a step and say, I think I need to go see a therapist. Or even I've noticed this around medication still, if you need medication support for your mental health. And so what do you wish that people understood about what therapy is? So yeah, that, that's a great question. I think especially if I could let you know these folks that are worried about going in or worried that they could even see therapy, if they could see how many clients I've had where we'll kind of go through the symptoms of PTSD and say, oh, okay, so this is looks like there's some trauma, some real trauma that's happened, and, and you know they'll say, oh, so so this is the thing. Like I'm not crazy. Mm. It's like no, you're not. You're not crazy at all. Like this is. You know, here, here's the criteria and here's what we can do to kind of help you walk out of it. Um, I think a lot of people that have that block, like you said, either there's a stigma, you know, they'll think they're just being too weak, you know, or they think they're just nuts. With that will come a lot of shame. I was just going to ask if, yeah, I was going to ask if shame is a component, why people kind of hesitate to reach out because for me to say out loud 
these secret things about myself that I don't know if they're okay. I feel like that is like the single bravest thing that I see people do. Absolutely. You know, shame is going to say, hey, there's something wrong with you. Because of that, you don't deserve love or connection, right? People saw what was really going on. They didn't want nothing to do with you. And that bravery, that courageous vulnerability to say, hey, here's something I'm struggling with. It's, it's so scary, but it's the most powerful, strongest thing that I've seen people do to come in and say, hey, here's, I think there's something up. I feel like I'm broken. I feel like I'm crazy. Um, if they could step through that, that you know, and, and again, bravery doesn't exist without fear, right? So, mm-hmm. so it's okay to be fearful. Um, but if they, if they could say, okay, maybe... Maybe I could just take one little step forward towards that vulnerability of saying, hey, I might need help. Whether that's to a loved one, a parent, sibling, friend, you know, a therapist, you know, Googling somebody to talk to, the juice is worth the squeeze. Mm. It is so worth, it is so worth going through that vulnerability to, to be able to work towards the healing that could be on the other side of that. Yeah. So I'm curious if you think this is a fair statement or not, because I've said it before and I'm willing to be wrong about this. But one of the things that I've said before is that sometimes I feel like finding the right therapist for you is a little bit like dating and not to be discouraged if the first therapist you go to just doesn't feel like the right fit for you. Am I totally wrong here or is that something that might be fair to say? No, that, that is so fair. And there's so much research behind that, too, to support your statement. When I, when I was talking about supervising um, other therapists, we, uh, so Scott Miller, he's, he's a researcher, and he researches, like, what leads to positive change in therapy. It's not the model. It's not the intervention. It's not the theory. It's the relationship. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you feel like you just don't have the relationship you want to have with that therapist, like, that's okay. There's plenty of other therapists out there. I would focus on that. And sometimes, yes, you do need to kind of go through one, two, whoever knows how many therapists to make sure you have that right fit. You know, I, I'm so glad I didn't have to marry the first person I dated. That would have been a, that have been a lifelong disaster. Yeah, it's okay. But like I said, you kind of maybe had to date your therapist a little bit, get to know them. I know a lot of therapists, they'll try to offer free you know, consultations, you know, just phone consultations, you call in and just kind of get a feel, at least first of all. Yeah, that that relationship is so important. Um, That being said, too, if if they feel like something is off, you know, sometimes it might mean, okay, let me try a different therapist. I strongly encourage all my clients uh, to say, hey, listen, if you feel like something's off, give me feedback. Exactly. You know, the research uh, is heavily shown that the more feedback a client can give the therapist, the better therapeutic outcomes they're going to they're going to have. And and whether that feedback leads to again getting national therapist or just helping the therapist know, oh, here's what I need to be asking about. I mean, there's there's a lot of times I'll think, okay, we need to go in this direction for therapy. The client, no, you know, they'll say, no, Sam, I need to go this way. And, and until you know, I can't read minds. You know, I can't. You know, thank goodness I can't. But exactly. I, right. I can't remind them. And so, unless somebody tells me, I just might think, okay, we're going this direction. So, I'm very, I'm very open with my clients and say, listen, as much feedback as you can give me, the better. We, we you know, at Las Vegas Therapy, we intentionally ask for feedback every session mm-hmm. to, make, to make sure we're going in the right direction, how does it feel, just to, you know, to make sure we're, we're, you know, if we're dating, we want to make sure this is a good relationship for you. Right. And to like have an opportunity, as you were describing that, I was thinking of the words to get in sync to make sure that yes. you guys are like in sync with what is the priority, what is the focus, what feels helpful and supportive in this moment. Because yeah. I am 
totally married to like the most amazing person. He's my best friend. But, you know, we need to have some feedback with each other so that we stay in sync. So even a really great relationship is going to need that. So I can totally see how that would be the case. Um, Absolutely. I'm curious because I'm sure that there's a lot that people don't understand about trauma when they come in to see you. What do you think most people misunderstand about trauma? Um, I think they feel like they should have gone through some life-threatening situation to have trauma. You know, like they, they might say, well, I was never in a, in a big nasty car wreck or I'm not a combat veteran. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. You, know, the, you know, there's the big T trauma, like here's this big singular event. And then there's the small T. Now, not small, like it's not a big deal, but it's more of like the cumulative where like I'm in this ongoing situation. Sure. I think, I think a lot of people they feel like they, they can't have trauma because they, you know, they didn't almost die. But, you know, the mind doesn't pick what's traumatic to us and what's not. Or else we'd never pick it, right? Like, I, so it's not up to me to choose. I think the biggest misconception of people thinking that, you know, oh, I didn't go through anything that bad. Right. Just helping them understand, well, it doesn't matter how big or small it is. The mind will, it's, it's kind of up to how the mind interpreted it. Yeah. Almost like they're not able to recognize or validate their own experience, which, which like kind of causes like this, like snowball effect. I think that's the right word when the snow's rolling down the hill and it gets bigger. Right. Mm -hmm. That like part of it is not only am I now not like validating that I experienced this series of events or this event, but now anything that I'm feeling because of it, I just assume is like a character defect or like something fundamentally wrong with me rather than just a really understandable byproduct of the trauma that I experienced. Yeah. It's interesting when there are people describe, especially when they, when you give them a chance to talk about like what led into the trauma, it, I love how you said it. Like, it makes perfect sense why the trauma is there. You know, like, like people don't have trauma because they're crazy. Like, like there was something about that, whether it was a life or anything that, or, you know, I thought I would lose my spouse or I, or I did lose my spouse. Like, and anything that really kind of gets the rug off under us can rock our world. And, you know, especially with the idea of like, you know, a snowball effect where they think like, well, hey, there's just something wrong with me. I'm just kind of nuts. You know, the you know, criteria D and for post-traumatic stress disorder, it's, it's called a negative alteration in, in mood and thought, you know, where, again, here's this negative shift in how I think and feel about myself. And you see that a lot where they'll go through this event or ongoing circumstance. They, they really will walk really will walk out of it thinking, well, I'm just broken. There's something wrong with me here. Yes. Again, character flaw. You know, and, and they just, you know, they feel completely responsible for what's going on when it's like, no, 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 hold on. Like, here was this significant event that really had an impact on him. You're not, again, you're not crazy. You're not defective. The trauma's on him. Yes. I think if I could pick one thing for everybody to know and understand, it might be that concept, which is you're not broken. The responses and the things that you're feeling make sense within the context of everything you've experienced. That that alone would be transformational for people to really, truly, like at a core level, understand about themselves, which is part of the work I imagine that people are able to come to that understanding as they do this work with you or other therapists that are trained in this type of work. Absolutely. Especially given the response, like it makes sense your body's responding this way. Your your mind doesn't differentiate between a physical threat, an emotional threat, or a relational threat. It's just all a threat. 
especially like with attachment, right? I mean, if the baby's not attached to their parents, they'll die. They'd like attachment is life or death. Right. And so fast forward, right? And it's like, well, I, I thought I'm losing my spouse to, you know, infidelity or, you know, I'm, I'm scared to death that, you know, my kid is, you know, on drugs and I'm not going to lose them. Or they're gonna, again, it's, it is arresting. Like I said, it's, it's just your body responding to a perceived threat. Again, it's just doing what it's designed to do. You're not crazy at all. So because you brought up this betrayal, and it's one of the things that you mentioned early on that is part of the focus of the work that you do now is to help people work through betrayal trauma. Like, as I'm thinking about this, I wonder if it almost seems like it might be a little bit of a hidden trauma in that people don't really recognize that that's trauma that they've experienced and it maybe doesn't occur to them that that's something that they need help and support for. So tell me a little bit about betrayal trauma and what makes it unique and maybe anything else you think our listeners should know and understand about it. Yeah, I, I think you kind of touched on it right now. It's, I mean, betrayal trauma, it's it's both unique and, you know, just kind of, you know, just like any other trauma, right? When I say like any other trauma, again, it matches the symptoms of PTSD where, you know, let's, let's say somebody's betrayed by their partner. I mean, they keep thinking about it, right? It's there's the intrusive thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. They're trying to avoid it in some way, shape, or form, right? They might get that deep into their kids' lives or their work or you know, overly involved in church, you know, stuff like that. And they'll have that, that negative shift and how they think feel about themselves. And then with arousal too, they call it negative alterations and arousal of the activity where I go to hyper arousal or hypo arousal is where you see people where they can't get out of bed because of trauma. It's unique, like you said, especially when you said it's very subtle, especially when you see somebody who is choosing to stay in a relationship that they wish they did betrayed. It could, the water can get pretty muddy because here they have this connection, it's attachment with somebody they're scared to death to lose, right? So mm-hmm. they're doing all they can to hold on to it. And every time they turn to that person, here's that hurt, you know, that they've received. And again, the, the mind, the differentiate between a relational or physical threat, it's just, I've been hurt deeply, like what I thought was safe and secure isn't, right? and, and here's this threat that I had no choice or control or power over. It just was this pain that's imposed on me. That's where it's pretty unique, where I'm trying to stay in a situation which has also been incredibly hurtful for me. You, know, you, you would never expect somebody that's, let's say, gotten PTSD from combat you know, to say, hey, go, go live in the battlefield where you thought you were going to die receive you know your trauma there uh, that's that's where it's kind of unique where it's like i feel like i'm you know, i'm still in it like yeah i'm still in it yeah i'm still and, in it and again i'm still in it they have all that bonding that's been happening for years and so they can part of them feel confused and, and hurt because they'll say well i feel like i should be able to turn to my partner for their trust and safety but again that's you know when i think of that again the safety's been kind of robbing me so what do i do and and there's a lot of, like, it's a very, it could be very subtle, but again, if there's PTSD, but it's, yeah, it could be a tricky one to work through for sure. Yeah. Do you feel like as people are working through betrayal trauma, if they're still currently in the relationship, is it still possible for them to feel a sense of healing, even though that's something that they're like still in it, in, in the situation? Yeah, absolutely. And, and obviously it, it, it depends on a lot of different factors, right? It depends on, you know, for the betrayed, like, what are they, you know, are they kind of doing things to help themselves work towards mm-hmm. recovery? You know, mm-hmm. Independent of what their partner did, I would never expect anybody to 
you know, say, hey, you should be feeling safe if their partner is still acting out or still betraying them in some way, shape, or form. Right? They've got to figure their life out. Right. So they've got to learn to kind of, you know, have healthier boundaries you know, with their behaviors. And I see healing and peace come back all the time. You know, a lot of it depends on there's the principle of just being able to you know, be connected with yourself, be able to feel safe within your own skin mm-hmm. first. And, mm-hmm. then, and then I can kind of start to feel safe with other people learning to feel like they have a sense of choice and control that's the, that's the huge one um, being able to feel like they can be empowered again to make choices you know, that you're not trapped biggest, yeah you're not trapped yeah because that, that i see that as one of the biggest ingredients to trauma is here's this pain being imposed on me and and i'm just trapped right? there's nothing i can do about it um, but just then knowing, oh, I can make a choice. Whether I'm choosing to leave or choose to stay in the relationship, either way, it's my choice. And and I get to own that. And like, here's the values that that choice is based on, right? independent of what the other person does or doesn't do. Uh, but yeah, it, there, absolutely. There could be a lot of healing and peace so they can feel you know, within that relationship. You know, but even if the person that's betrayed them has, doesn't have their life figured out yet, the other person that's been betrayed can definitely start to get some, yeah, some sturdy feet. Yeah. Almost like I can feel okay within myself, regardless of the chaos that might be going on parallel to me. Mm -hmm. One of my answers um, when people ask me, and I know them well enough, right? Like this isn't like the grocery store cashier because this might be like a little more information (laughs) than they need. But if people are like, hey, how are you doing? One of the things that resonates for me most days is I feel calm amidst the commotion because I feel like if I just say I'm fine or everything's good then people make assumptions that like everything in my life is in order and like everything is just like you know picture perfect just as it should be the truth is there's a lot of commotion in my life right a lot of balls in the air a lot of uncertainty and yet because of the work that I've done I feel that calm centeredness within myself, even though there's commotion going on around me. And to me, that is like, I don't think that that's what people think that healing necessarily looks like. And maybe that's just kind of unique to me. But for me, that is such a powerful thing to feel like even when things are going sideways around me, I can still feel okay within myself. Yeah, that that is real empowerment right there. Right? People will come in for for treatment and you know their hope and expectation is the life will just be <laughs> just <laughs> flat and calm all the time and everything will be in control and it's like well no no but we can you know we can work towards equanimity right like yeah there could be all sorts of chaos right i can stand in the eye of the hurricane and observe it and it doesn't mean i have to stop the hurricane to feel at peace it's it's about finding peace within it so I, I, I think your, your experience you're describing, I think, matches a lot of the clients that work with, for sure. I wonder if, in addition, because you mentioned that some of the empowerment that people feel, like part of that is that they are like taking back ownership and taking back their ability to choose, right? Even if it's the small choice of I'm going to choose how I show up today, I'm I'm choosing to stay in this relationship, not I'm trapped in it, right? Some of these choices, I wonder if part of that is also knowing what to let go of, like not only what to grab back and take as my power, but like to let go of like feeling responsible for other people or to feel responsible for outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the most self, self-compassionate things we could do is acknowledging that limitation. Right? There's a point where I end and the other person begins. Right? It's very tempting to try to overown what's mm. my mind. It, and, and it makes sense though, right? I mean, um, 
it's just somebody trying to gain a sense of control, trying to you know, feel like, okay, I, I know what the movie pieces are and they're trying to get some kind of security. So it, it makes sense why they'd want to do that. Um, but again, being able to acknowledge, well, that might be beyond me, but here's what I can control. The more I, the more I can let go of what I can control, again, it brings me that empowerment of, of this is what I can act on. You know, this is what is in my control and I can just start moving in that direction. Yeah, I love For that. Sure, I think, yeah, with trauma, like it, it hits, you know, sense of responsibility, sense of choice of control, and then sense of safety. And, and the more somebody can, again, shut up, you know, be, you know, make a choice to move towards safety. It doesn't matter how big or small that is. Mm-hmm. That might be, that might be moving states, you know, that might be leaving a relationship or choosing to stay. But anytime they feel like, well, this is my choice, and this is what I'm going to choose to do. You know, even if it's like, you know, I'm going to go sleep you know, downstairs instead of, you know, in my own bed or who knows what, doesn't yeah. matter. Any experience you can give your mind where it says, hey, here's the choice I'm making to move towards safety to help somebody either pull out of trauma or keep it going farther in. Because again, we're, we're, we're exercising that choice control. I can move towards safety and I get to make these choices, right? I, I'm responsible for it. Yeah. So as we're talking about this, it's reminding me of, um, maybe the things that you notice that are key that people do outside of the time that they're in therapy with you that also help them keep moving forward toward healing. Because I imagine for clients, most of them might see you for an hour or two once a week, every other week, maybe once a month. So that leaves a lot of hours that they're not sitting with you. What have you noticed are some things that allow your clients to continue healing outside of the time that you're together? Yeah. So uh, first thing, uh, practicing mindfulness consistently. Okay. That doesn't mean never being distracted. Just noticing, oh, I got distracted again. Choosing to come back to the present. Right. That that's that for sure would be probably the biggest one. Because again, trauma is going to try to pull your mind into the past. It's like, oh, I got distracted into the past. But what's actually going on in the present? Just letting themselves completely practice coming back to that. And you know, we do that through breathing, through mindful walking, mindful sitting, whatever it might be. Uh, you brought up, you know, headspace, you know, 10% happier, just pulling up mindfulness exercises on YouTube. The more they can practice that, the better. Um, I've seen yoga be incredibly useful as well. Mm-hmm. And here you are in this. I mean, for, it's very uncomfortable for me to do yoga. I'm not flexible at all, so it's hard <laughs> for me. But then to choose to, again, go back to this choice, that's like, well, I'm going to choose to stay here, but also I'm just going to choose to observe the discomfort. Right. I am not the discomfort. I am not the pain. It's something that I'm experiencing, but it's not me. And I can just practice noticing it. it it's, again, it goes in a good direction. We've seen that when people can intentionally put themselves in stressful situations, now again, this means safe. You know, not, don't go be reckless, but in, intentionally stressful. So for example, like exercise. You know, I'm going to go get my heart rate up for a while and just practice putting myself in a stressful situation and then coming back, you know, that, that becomes a little tribation where I can, I can move towards stress and choose to move back and move for it uh, towards the move back again. If people can be practicing those things, it's great. Sleep as well. Um, I know that trauma can really, you know, throw sleep patterns off. That's probably one of the first things I ask about too, and say, how's your sleep? Do you wake all night long? Are there, are there nightmares? Can you fall asleep at all? Or do you, go for three days and crash because your body's just exhausted. So getting good sleep hygiene, I, I would say it, it's crucial. So just sleep, you know, exercise, mindfulness, food as well. 
I had one client come in and this was just last week and I just said, well, what did you, you tell me, tell me what you're eating. And she'll say, well, <laughs> the past three days I've had uh, Diet Coke and Snickers bars. She's like, <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, you're going to feel awful if that's how you're feeling yourself. So just making sure you're getting good, good fuel in your body too. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that I'm interested in knowing also is with the pandemic, I feel like it shifted a lot of the ways that we connect, including how we're accessing mental health. Have you noticed anything in particular about how people are coming to you now or any other things because of the pandemic that are different now than they were pre-pandemic? Yeah, I think because of the pandemic, a lot of therapists, you know, had to, you know, we, had, we had to make online therapy available. During the pandemic, we've been busier than we've ever been. I think the online option kind of removed some barriers. We kind of talked about that shame of mm-hmm. people, you know, going into therapy. And, and if, if they know that they can stay in their own home where it's comfortable, it's familiar, they could just, you know, <laughs> therapists can be on the screen, but if they need to look away, kind of get regrounded, like, that's okay. Um, but I know, I know because of the pandemic, the online therapy option really, I think, allowed a lot more people to be able to get help. The double-edged sword, though, I think there's, you know, there's, there's certain interventions, you know, for example, like EMDR, which are just, they're hard to do online. There's something about being in person that's very useful. Um, I talked about, you know, just the therapeutic relationship, like the co-regulation, you know, being connected with somebody in person that, I mean, you could do it online. Um, it's just a little trickier, but it, but just being able to be in the room and, and feeling somebody leaning closer, like that's that's something the pandemic I think has kind of gotten in the way of. Um, yeah. But I'm hoping you know as time kind of moves on, you know people will be able to feel you know, a little comfortable. I I have maybe two people online now, and the rest are all coming to me in person. So would you say it's worth pushing through a little bit of the awkwardness to make that in person connection if that's accessible to you? I, yeah, if, if it's accessible, if it's realistic, um, I would definitely stay, you know, push through that awkwardness. Again, that, that phrase, the juice is worth the squeeze, I think, getting that in-person. Because, again, you can get that co-regulation aspect. You know, I mean, Sue Johnson, she's a, she does relationship research. Just the, the body turning off the stress response, right? Letting cortisol and adrenaline, norepinephrine levels kind of go down when they feel connected with somebody and, and letting oxytocin come in. That's a huge component of trauma and resolution of being able to feel connected and safe while thinking or noticing this past event. Being able to get that in person is incredibly helpful. Also, the distraction of all the other things at your house, I imagine, for me, can sometimes yeah, be yeah. tough when I'm in a meeting or something like that. Do you think that now that this has become a familiar way for people to connect, that people will continue like even post-pandemic, that there will still be more online access to mental health care than there was before? I think so. I mean, I've got some colleagues that they, they basically stopped paying rent and they're just fully online. They feel like that works for them. And I, I don't see the option ever going away. Okay. You know, if it was about five or six years ago, it, online therapy was kind of a weird thing. Like a lot of yeah. therapists were like, no, that's crazy. <laughs> no, you know, don't ever do that. And now it's it's just, just as normal as anything else. So. Yeah. Interesting. Well, one thing that I would be interested to know, what do you personally love about the work that you do? Well, th- this just attaches to why I do it in general. I love to see somebody heal. 
there and, and not because something that I'm doing again I think a lot of therapists you know they, they realize you know it's not the therapist that's doing the healing I love to see empowerment like that spark kind of get lit that that fire kind of light and get bigger I love to see somebody live their values right young um, with these values no matter what has happened to me or no matter what's gone on in my relationship like I'm going to take control of my life and I'm going to do what I know is right and live in a certain way it, it is it is wildly inspiring for me. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I constantly tell people I probably get way more out of therapy than any of my clients. <laughs> Being a therapist has been the best thing I could have done just for me in my own life, working through my own thing. So for me, I just love to see people grow and heal. There's there's nothing there's nothing compared to that. Okay, so tell me more about your practice, where you're located, and how people can connect to you in that way. I. I noticed yeah. on your bio that it said you're the owner and director at Las Vegas Therapy. So tell me more about this. Yeah, so Las Vegas Therapy, we we focus a lot on relationships, trauma, depression, anxiety. The website is LVT, the Las Vegas Therapy, LVTMentalHealth.com. Yeah, located in Las Vegas, Nevada, kind of, you know, if any listeners are in Las Vegas, we're kind of in the northwest part of town. But like I said, we have online options for people that want to make the drive, they can come in. Uh, we also do, you know, relationship trauma, you know, coaching as well. So if you don't live in the state of Nevada, you can still, you know, we can do online options, we can kind of help you work through things, you know, through a coaching, you know, stance as well. Uh, we have, let's see, I think in January, we'll be up to 20 therapists. Wow. And then we're going to be adding about five more uh, over the next couple months. You know, there, there's a big need. Out there, we're trying. We're doing what we can to meet the need. So we'll have about 20, 25 therapists by by January. And we're trying to. And we're trying. We're trying to create an army of therapists that can just do a good job again in relationships, trauma, depression, anxiety. I love that. I love this concept too. This is something that I've been really drawn to for the last few months. Is this idea of for for people that are struggling with anything related to mental health, this concept of kind of having like a safety net for people. And oftentimes when you're talking about this, it's more often than not, it seems to me that it's not just one thing or one person. And I, and so having, you know, this, this diversity and this army, as you called it, of providers really allows you to like, I don't know, I feel like be able to meet so many different needs with, that are that that are coming from different backgrounds and circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can only see so many people a day, but if I can help train and supervise you know, twenty other therapists right away, the amount of reach we can get to again for people that are, you know, whatever the struggle is, um, there's establishment more we're good. And we're kind of what it's not really stated on our website, but kind of like a company motto is you know, be a force for good. Mm, I love and that. That's kind of that, that's kind of a role in going back to like, well, what I love seeing people, you know, do, especially when they heal from trauma is that they get to be a force for good as well, you know, for themselves and, and those around them. I love how when we heal, you know, I think at first I felt really frustrated when I recognized how my trauma was affecting me and therefore how it had affected me as a mother. And I kind of could see the rippling out effects of that. The thing that I'm noticing now that I have been in this healing process for a little bit now has been that not only does our trauma response have a ripple effect, but our healing does too, right? That I've seen that just that like 
even though I can't choose healing for anybody around me, that my own personal healing has had this ripple out effect for people around me, including my kids, including my husband. And it turns out I didn't even have to like try to control the situation to help them heal. It's just a natural byproduct of me being healed and having that peace within. The strongest people, the strongest families, strongest relationships aren't those that are free of trauma. They're those that have walked that walk, right? And and work towards healing. So yeah, it's yeah, like like I said, we can try to control it and be completely <laughs> completely safe and cocooned and bubble wrap, but that doesn't do anybody any good. I, I agree with you hundred percent. The the ripple effect of the healing and it can go for generations too, not just presently, but the, the impact that somebody can have by choosing to deal with your trauma. And it's hard, it's a hard path, but what it does, not just for yourself, but those around you and those that will come after you, it's incredible what it yeah. can do. It has brought me a lot of hope. I feel like two of the words that I love the most when I'm talking about trauma are bravery and hope. And for me personally, as a mother, that concept has brought me the most hope to feel like I don't have to look and only see the ways that trauma negatively affected people around me, but I also get to see that part of what I gave my children may not have been a perfectly regulated mother growing up, but what I showed them was that whatever you experience, you can move through and you can heal from that. And I mean, that's a pretty cool thing for them to be able to be a firsthand witness to, you know? If we could get every kid to learn that lesson, right? It's not about never having a problem. Again, here, here, here's how you redeem yourself. Here's how you move on. Here's how you stand up, right? Like that, that's the lesson kids can learn. Your kids are so blessed that you've been able to do that. Well, I'm going to definitely play this part of the podcast for them as you're telling them that because that'll be, that'll be perfect. <laughs> so I have loved this conversation. Before we close, is there anything else that you would like to say that you haven't had a chance to share yet? Thank you so much for having me on. I, I think the biggest nail I'd want to drive home, and it's just, I'm just going to piggyback just on what you said, you know, there is hope. You know, trauma is, it's treatable. You know, life isn't about never getting any mixed or cuts or bruises. It's about the, it's about the victory that comes from bouncing back from those. There, there's so much hope for those that are out there that have you know, that shame or that worry of, should I reach out? If you going to sound crazy take that step. It will be worth it all the way. I love it. Well, I would like to thank Sam Richardson for joining us today. And thank you listeners for joining us on MindWell, the podcast that introduces you to exceptional individuals that are developing powerful, mindful connections. Thank you for listening to another episode of MindWell. We are sponsored by Trauma Integration, LLC a company passionate about helping people understand their trauma response and find wholeness within. You can find out more at www.integratetrauma.com.